Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome to the show. We are back stateside this week to talk with Derek Goffred. Now, Derek comes from a product and engineering background, working with companies such as the New York Times and Tumblr, before moving into an advisory role for many companies, including Bonobus and Paxos. In 2018, he co-founded Cassian, which is all about building trust online via ID tracking. They believe that when we know each other, when there's a baseline of trust, we're able to accomplish more together and faster. Something which I couldn't agree more with. Uh, I know myself from working with people. When you build that trust and you get to know them better, you just get so much more out of your people. So in this podcast, we're going to learn a bit more about Derek, about his background, how he got into tech, why he started his own business, his thoughts on data and trust online, and how does the EU compare to the US in this field, and talk about some of the challenges he overcame. For example, how he moved from the US into the EU in terms of his business. And what does the future hold in this space? So welcome to the show, Derek. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a total pleasure. I'm excited to share everything and, and talk to you today, Ken. Fantastic. Listen, we're going to take all that experience for you and share it with everyone. <laughs> so tell us, tell us a bit about your background and who you are. Sure. So I'm an engineer and product person. It's really what I've been focused on is building stuff, making solutions, getting other people to use it. It's the stuff I'm most excited. And, you know, lately, my role has been Still a lot of that, but you know, I'm pretending to be a CEO and head of sales and all those <laughs> things you do when you start, start a company, <laughs> but which is super fun. I, I love to go out and talk to different customers and come back and kind of rethink the product and make sure our fit is good and our approach is well. And we have some deep engineering work as well, which is super exciting. Cool. Very cool. Actually, just, I did another one recently on product and the product that you envisioned at the start versus now, would you say it's more or less in line or did you completely change it? Or I think it's more refined. So I, don't, I think the basic underlying stuff that we really focused on is, you know, how do we build trust on the internet and what does that look like and what are the systems we can put in place? That kind of top line mission is very consistent. I think we've definitely evolved the product pretty significantly just as we've kind of figured out different pain points and where we can really kind of help people the most. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll want to talk about it a bit more shortly. So how, I mean, you started in tech in college, I guess. Did you get into college tech from a young age? Yeah, you from, I mean, from, you know, back when I was, you know, a teenager, I was just fascinated with, you know, making little tools and making things. And this is, you know, I'm very old. So this is, you know, even before the internet. <laughs> no, yeah. um, and uh, so I, I was just fascinated with programming and tinkering and be able to show off my work. And I think when the internet came around, then there was this opportunity to have, you know, even more people and more impact. And it's one of the things that I love about kind of the global internet is the, the, the ability to take these kind of, kind of small tools, small ideas that you have and really put them out in the world and impact lots and lots of people. And fortunate, had a bunch of opportunities to do that in a, in a couple of different scenarios. 
Yeah, fantastic. Because I, I see that you mean you were a permanent employee. I mean, working with some great companies like New York Times and Tumblr. Then you went out into an advisory capacity and before starting your own business. So tell us a bit about that. how did that evolve and how did you go about doing that? Well, I, you know, I had some really great opportunities at the New York Times and Tumblr was an unbelievable run. We had so much fun and we got to build some amazing products and really have kind of expansive reach. And so to kind of share some of that stuff in different settings. And so, you know, Paxos is an incredible company with a, a mission that's really focused around rebuilding an open financial system using blockchain and, and uh, crypto. Bonobos is an amazing company, and it's unclear why they uh, really needed my advice in the sense that I, I was not an e-commerce person. So, you know, in all these opportunities, you know, I did a lot of sharing, but also a lot of learning, a lot of learning about the space and really broadening kind of my perspective. I got to see new problems that I hadn't seen. So there was re- it's been really great. And yeah, in terms of, you know, meeting or connecting with those companies, was it through the network or how did you get involved with those companies? Yeah, New York is not as big a town as you would think. So I think, you know, the startups and internet and technology in New York is, is maybe second or third, you know, so finance still dominates. Publishing is, has been historically one of the other dominants. And so there's a real community there. So it's not in a massive network. And everyone's pretty well connected. So just through chance encounter, mostly. Okay, cool. And then, so tell us, I mean, you went out on your own and said, listen, I'm going to start my own company here back in 2018. So that was a big move, bold, what made you <laughs> um, take the plunge? Well, yeah, so I, advising is great, but there's, um, you know, there's not the same level of ownership. And so I love kind of giving opinions and weighing in and being part of that. I think the opportunity to to really kind of take one problem and own it completely was very exciting. And then, you know, it was really about finding the right problem. And so my co-founder, Ken Little, and I had worked together both at the New York Times and at Tumblr, but we'd also kind of experienced a common pain point. So, you know, we'd both been working at companies that were two-sided marketplaces in the past. And one of the things is, is how do we build trust? And what are the tools that are available? And what are the common patterns? And we didn't really see what we thought was a workable solution in terms of user experience, effectiveness of establishing the trust, cost. And so, you know, we really started playing around with what are the tools that we would build if we were to start over? And what would the world look like if we were able to create a system and a set of tools and resources where everyone could go and really know who they're talking to on the other side of the internet? And have confidence, and how do you build that? Start to build that relationship. Awesome. And so, you know, obviously, it's a massive thing. I mean, the whole layer of data and trust and online and different sides to this. But I mean, what are your own thoughts in the current environment of data and trust? Where we're at? I mean, what are the challenges in the space? I think we're at a really interesting time where you know people are very hungry and thirsty for trust. I think we need it. I think it's something that's been kind of left out from the early days of the internet. I think some of the earlier systems of trust haven't really proven and lived up to the promise. I think about, you know, one of the original virtues of Facebook was it's a real name. It's a real first name and last name. So the very early days where, you know, nobody on the internet knows you're a dog, a famous New Yorker cartoon. And now, (laughs) 
you get to Facebook. And I think, you know, however you fall out on the, on the Facebook debate, it hasn't really lived up to the promise of creating more senses of trust and really kind of connecting us way in a way that maybe it happens on Facebook, but not really exportable to the rest of the world. And so I think the, the idea that, you know, whether I'm a dating app or an employment app or a banking app or some new version of Craigslist, who this other person is and what do I know about them and how did that information come to be is really important. And then I think the second side of that is as you're building that trust, you know, it's really built on, off of verified data. I and mean, how do you manage that data? How does that data get shared? What are the kind of rules and policies around that data? And I think it is we've seen a big, a big interest in terms of what data privacy and data management looks like, which has been incredibly important. And I think you know some of the new regulation has been awesome in the sense that it's really highlighted the need. And I think it actually builds trust in the industry and solutions. I can agree. But also, I mean, do you find that is there only a certain percentage of people that really care about this? So that, I mean, I find a lot of young people that just, just they throw everything up online. They don't really care if I have to watch it. And there's yeah, other people that are extreme on it and say, oh, no, I can't share anything. Yeah, I think, I think everybody actually cares about it. I think what happens is what's the value proposition and like what's the transparency around it. So we think the, the need is universal. So across all categories, it's great to know who the other person is, right? So you go to some place, a new place, you don't know anybody, you put on a name tag, you shake a hand. What are those type of signalings that we can really have online? So I think young people definitely care about it. I think when it comes to data, some of the tools and the products haven't been good enough in making a user experience that's acceptable. And so I think they make this trade-off in terms of user experience in data. And I don't think that that has to happen. I think that there's a way where you can have a great user experience and have great data privacy and a whole host of things. And so, you know, this is the part where I think we're, you know, both camps are right. People that are, you know, data privacy nuts and don't want to share anything. And the people that will share everything because they just want to have this great experience and get on with it. And I think, I think we're going to see those two pieces come together. And I think the winners in the space are people that can bridge that gap. Yeah, awesome. Interesting. And I mean, obviously, in the last couple of years, we've had in Europe, we've had a GDPR, which overall seems to be going well, I would think. What are your thoughts on this? And how does, how does it compare to the US in terms of managing data and trust? Yeah, I think, well, the GDPR, I think it's been great. I think it's, you know, it's really set the model for everybody. So in the US, we have a pretty fractured system. So I think GDPR has been a really powerful model. And so if you look at the California Consumer Privacy Act, it's probably the most significant piece of legislation that's come through and been enacted earlier this year, it came into force. I think one of the challenges with GDPR and what we'll see with the CCPA is um, what the enforcement looks like. I think there's been a little bit of uneven or selective enforcement. So I think that there needs to be more confidence put in it. We have seen on the flip side of that and, you know, We've certainly engaged in it around audits. So there's an ISO audit in the US. We generally do a SOC 2 type 2 audit, which is kind of a process procedure. And so, you know, that's something we engaged in early on. We were set up for. But I do think these will become almost industry standard. So, you know, if you think back about the payment industry, you know, first, like you were never supposed to share your credit card on the internet. Then there was the green lock because you had SSL. 
And then it became PCI compliant. And, you know, if you try to do PCI before a company like Stripe, it was kind of onerous and there was audit. Mm -hmm. And now Stripe makes sure that your payment information is secure and they take all that burden off you. And so we see ourselves in the same way in, in terms of the identity space of, you know, we're going to do all the hard compliance work. We're going to do all the data management. And we want to really give you that kind of amazing customer experience as well. Yeah, actually, just on that point, I mean, your company. So how are you, you know, standing out and helping your clients in terms of what they are they offering in terms of data and trust? So in terms of data and trust, we do quite a bit. And it was really engineered from the get-go that way. So one of the things that we do is we handle a lot of PII, but really it's around access controls to make sure that we have a full audit trail of everything that happens in the system. We have a full audited system for all our employees that's externally verified. And then additionally, there's a bunch of subtle things where we have a per field. And so, you know, particularly now when we work with say, a hiring company or an employment agency, and they want to know who this person is, in some ways, they don't want to know everything about the person. So they might not want to know initially race or gender or age for hiring practices. I mean, maybe they want to record it, but maybe they want to have detailed and limited access to that. And so we can provide a framework for them to do that, which is really powerful. And so we help them really comply with best practices. And so that's one of the things that great when working with people, I think in the past, you know, we've replaced some situations where people were just uploading pictures of passports or driver's licenses, and they would end up in a help desk system. And so by managing all that, and then putting very fine grained controls on it, and at the same time, make it incredibly usable, I think, you know, that debate you said about millennials versus like, they just give up everything mm -hmm. versus yeah. these other people. That's a real divide that needs to be crossed. In terms of innovation, then, in this whole area and regulation, I mean, how do we have to balance right? Because sometimes, you know, you have too much regulation and it's difficult then to innovate. It's stifling. Do you, how do you feel about What do you feel about this point? Yeah, I think, like, you know, the pendulum swings back and forth. One of the great things is, is that, you know, having customers in the EU and having customers in the US, we're able to kind of see both things as they develop a lot less regulation in the US. It's very kind of fractured. So there is a lot of regulation. It's very hard to kind of navigate it. One of the great things about GDPR and, you know, we would love to see a national version of the GDPR in the US is just for simplicity, right? So if everyone was applying, I think it's good for consumers. Yeah. I think it's easier for business. I think the closer alignment we can get there, it'll be amazing. So those are the things that we really were looking forward in the future. Yeah, and actually, thank you. And also on top of that point, then you mentioned there about the EU and Europe, and you work, you know, across different countries. I mean, how do you manage that then? Because I know we have in Europe, we have GDPR, but you also got very, you got specific requirements per country, yep. which can be a big challenge in itself. I mean, how do you manage that? Is it a challenge? I don't know. Maybe it's not a challenge. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a challenge. I think the challenge is, is understanding all the nuances, right? And really working with our customers for them to understand and for them to help us. So, you know, we have some amazing customers that are really help us, educate us in terms of the local market. You know, the, the good news there is that the need is universal. Who is this person? Can we trust them? And so, you know, the things that are very, really common are, I want to know, I want to have a validated experience that this is Ken or this is Derek. 
and I want to be able to manage that data. That part is common. And then the, the intricacies of how you manage local law and stuff. Luckily, we've, we've had some amazing customers that really helped educate us. Bastard, yeah. So they kind of help you build the product, giving yep. our feedback, which seems to be a good form of product design from what I've seen in my experience. Yeah. And uh, managing that. Interesting. So, I mean, what does the future hold for you guys? Well, I mean, we think that the future, we are going to make an ID check as commonplace as a handshake pre-COVID. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pre-COVID, uh, you know, in some ways, COVID has accelerated some of our opportunities, right? So I think COVID has moved us faster into the future in terms of, mm. I want to know who this person is, but I want to do it online. I want to do it remotely. I want to do it without a lot of close contact. And so whether it's, you know, property management systems that are building amazing opportunities inside like an Airbnb and VRBO experience or jobs or even single sign-on providers, we see that like the need is really universal. And then we think while we do a great job today, we think there's another step to go. We're very interested in reusable ID checks that really empower the user to have a much more seamless experience. But we think the first step is really building out this ecosystem today where it's incredibly fragmented across lots of vendors. And you know you have everything from an email confirmation to a phone confirmation. Yes. So we think that the ID check will become more universal. It becomes easier to use. And we solve that kind of user experience bottled mm-hmm. with great protection. And then we think we'll be able to reuse it. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, great. So if I do one ID check basically with you, and not all the companies that just come there and they just use the same ID check. Is that the idea, is it? Well, that's where we want to get to, yes. yes. Awesome, yeah, fantastic. That sounds really good. But we want to make sure that you're in control. So we don't right. want to build a centralized database like in the US, they're basically credit. We're not interested in building a centralized database. We really want a decentralized solution that really empowers you as a user to kind of control and manage your own data, but in a way that... Uh, you know, is easy and accessible, right? Not something that's, you know, you setting up your own web server or controlling your own data or having some kind of like cloud storage. We want to help you manage that, but we want you to definitely be in control. Yeah, because I mean, the other side of this argument is the big brother knows everything about me while watching me and control. Yes. So we, we imagine a solution where we help you manage that and you actually just issue temporary tokens when people want to know who you are and and you don't have to go through the process again, but you just say you have a temporary token and then you'll have a full list of here's all the people that I gave a token to and here's when they accessed it and here's the pieces of data they accessed. So you have full transparency. The business are going to have a much better experience. You're going to have a better experience as a consumer. That's really ultimately where we think the future is not too far off. Very cool. I like it. It sounds really good. You know, I always ask my guests because for me, it's all about learning from experiences and it's all about, you know, the difficult challenges you've overcome and the lessons learned. Could you share maybe a couple of your experiences in terms of you know, maybe what had value from what you've learned building your company? I think it's, you know, listen. It's really important to listen and really go out and solicit. So, you know, the best things that we've learned is spending time with our customers and really understanding their problems. We initially had this big idea about you know, how do we build trust? And we put a product out in the market that's gotten a lot of traction. But I think the product gets so much better when we listen to our customers, I think, to really understand and take that feedback to the team and digest it and then kind of cross-validate it amongst the 
all our customers. So we're not building just a custom solution, but building something that's going to be broadly applicable. But that's the part that seems very obvious, but uh, is sometimes easy to forget. Yeah, fantastic. How do you mean, how are you reaching out to these customers? Are you doing workshops with them, phone calls? A lot of Zoom these days, a lot okay. <laughs> as, yeah. as everything is, has moved to Zoom. So yeah, I mean, most of our customers have been really agreeable and you know, even prospective customers have been really generous with their time educating us, whether it's about their individual locale and some of the challenges they face or telling us that this is a solution that we want. We've had some customers that have reached out to us and introduced us to market segments that we didn't, weren't even on our radar. Fantastic. Yeah, I remember listening to the podcast about Airbnb and how they started offering to take photographs of people's apartments and places. Have you heard that? Yeah. And, and that's how they built out the whole product roadmap and what ultimately what the customer wants and needs. And that's they built it around that, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. And it sounds like something similar to what you guys are doing. Fantastic, Derek. Listen, thank you so much for your time today. If people want to learn a bit more about your company and can contact you, what's the best place? I mean, best way is just email me. I'm Derek at caissons.com or go to our website. Awesome. Listen, thank you for your time today, Derek. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Great conversation. Congrats on the podcast.